Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, yo, welcome back, Solar Warrior, and thank you so much for lending us your ears. And the only non-renewable resource you've got, that is your time. If you're new to Suncast, it is my sincere hope that you will listen all the way through and that that will be our sign that not only did you like it, but we've earned your attention. Thank you for giving us a chance to do just that. Today's entrepreneurs have spent the better part of the last decade developing a product that pretty much every developer out there should be looking for, insurance. Believe it or not, if you're developing a solar project, among the hardest nuts to crack is finding bankable off-takers and actually ensuring that the promised revenue of the project will actually be there as predicted. Jim Bowen and Jeff McCauley, via their firm Energetic Insurance, help the former by helping developers' solar projects become bankable. How? Stay tuned. You'll find out. If you like this kind of business building content, then I sure hope you'll subscribe to the podcast as that's going to ensure you won't miss out on our twice-weekly content just like this and it gets pushed to you on your mobile app of preference. Of course, you can always check out more than 450 additional founder stories and startup advice over at mysuncast.com. We've got a bunch of other goodies there as well and you can learn more about our sponsors. A special thanks to the folks at RE Plus for giving us a venue to record this conversation live at their Northeast show in Boston. Much appreciated. Now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, you longtime Solar Warriors and listeners will recognize probably both of the voices on the show, though I've not yet been able to give their just dessert and give them a long deep dive into their sorted and sundry past that gives them credibility in our industry. But I have... With me today, the two co-founders of a company you've probably heard me talk about here on the platform, Energetic Insurance, Mr. Jeff McCauley and Jim Bowen. Thanks for coming to Suncast today. Thanks for having us, Nico. Hey, thanks for having us. We're here in Boston in your backyard. You're one of two insurance companies I've interviewed from Boston. <laughs> so uh, others will recognize that, uh, that reference, those that are longtime listeners and, and paying attention. You know, the thing that's always, always intrigued me, and I know you guys run into it a lot, is people don't really understand insurance products at all. And even more so when we get into esoteric products like solar. I mean, it's amazing how many adults just don't understand life insurance. They don't understand how to create bankability of their assets, how to create and how to create risk mitigation in their own life. Yet, I've heard you say something that I think captures pretty well the essence, Jim, that you and I have been talking about since, gosh, 2012, when you first started floating this idea to me. And that is, there is this CNI market, and it expands into other markets we may get into, that there are the Fortune 50, Fortune 500, Fortune 100 that on the surface seem really easy to go after and target, but there's a lot of competition. And then there's like everything else that seems to like, doesn't have a Dun & Bradstreet 
rating. I'll probably use words that I don't even know um, if they're the right ones, but they don't have uh, an accurate credit rating and they're essentially hard to bank, right? They're hard to get the numbers to work. And therefore I think it makes the pool really unnecessarily small as I've heard you and Jeff discuss it. Whichever of you would want to sort of lead off here, I'm trying to wrap my head around how as an insurance product, when you engage with the developer market that's trying to help business owners go solar, how do you characterize the underlying pieces of the project, the product that you had to get comfortable with? And by extension, your partners have to get comfortable with in order to offer insurance at all. And then how do you differentiate your, your version of security from other offerings in the market? Yeah. So, so Nico, uh, this is Jim. I, I think I can start off here. Um, and maybe I'll start from the perspective that Jeff and I had back in what, 2012, 2013, we were developers, we were developing and trying to finance solar projects. And we found it frustrating that we would find reputable businesses that made money that, uh, that were going to be around for a while that paid their electricity bills. But when we went to a bank to get them financed, they said they don't have a Dun & Bradstreet. They don't mm-hmm. have a Moody's rating. Right. And we said, yeah, but the business can't operate without electricity. It's an essential payment. Right. This is the last payment they're going to default on. And we we were frustrated that that these deals couldn't be banked. And we started talking to the insurance community, which, and Nico, you said up front that insurance can be confusing. This product is actually, an interesting way to think about it is that insurance Insurance companies are just a big type of financial institution, like a bank or other types of institutions, with a balance sheet that they and they bear risk. When a bank loans on a house, there's risk of default. When an insurer lo- does your auto insurance, there's a risk of default. In in our case, what we're do- what we're doing with our product and and where we came to with the insurers is we quantified the probability of default of electricity payments, which is different and inherently lower than the probability default of other types of loans they could be making. And by quantifying that, we got an $800,000 Sunshot grant to start off from the Department of Energy under that old program. And we built our actuarial pricing software and our, our, our underwriting software to quantify this probability default so that the insurer knew how much premium to collect in order to be able to absorb the potential claims down the line. When you guys are starting out, Jeff, you know, Jim mentioned that you guys are developers. You spend a lot of time working directly with large multi-facility, maybe multinational companies at a company most folks might recognize in the energy sector, Interknock. One of the things that I like to understand as an entrepreneur is what is the, like, what was that spark of an idea that convinced you to take this crazy journey away from a very stable and steady job at a place like Internoc that's well-respected in the market, right? Jim and I have a slightly different story and Jim's is quite different from mine. He and I were bumping around in Latin America together and he was developing for a large, credible entity, but quite a different story than yours. How did you discover the idea of working with Jim on this product? Can you tell me a bit so that folks can really understand how this team came together? Well, first of all, and, and thank you, this is, this is Jeff, uh, great to be here. Jim and I go way back. And so our relationship starts when I was in an applied R&D lab, working with engineers doing accelerated aging, durability testing, 
And I worked on a program doing technology validation for startups coming out of local universities. And so my early career as an engineer was all about de-risking, but de-risking from a technology perspective. And so the realization as I transferred out of that R&D organization into a you know, very customer-centric for-profit organization was looking at the de-risking that needed to be applied was no longer about the technology. It was about the financing and in particular about the counterparty. And the light bulb moment was realizing that most of the market, 90% of the CNI market actually isn't investment grade. They're below investment grade, they're unrated. And so the question now is as an industry, do we think that that 90% of the CNI market shouldn't have access to solar? Of course not. And so the inspiration was having that experience, that dawning realization, and then talking to Jim and realizing, wait a minute, this is happening all over the world. This is not just a US phenomenon. This is going to be global. And it's not just going to be for solar. It's going to be for storage. It's going to be for HVAC. This counterparty risk is so pervasive in all of the long-term infrastructure as a service agreements for all of the essential distributed resources that we want to, as a society, build all over the planet. There is no bigger opportunity. There is no bigger need. And most of it is crashing up against this counterparty credit wall. And if that's not an inspiration to start a company, I don't know what is. I couldn't agree more. And that was one of the things that, you know, Jim, I remember having only met you through Jim and through this business that Jim was bumping up against as a developer and was constantly saying, I can't believe we've got these great deals and, and we can't get folks comfortable with the risk. I'm going to circle back to that in a second, because I think, Jim, you've got a really, a really elegant way of explaining one of the pieces that's non-obvious about this. For those who don't know Jeff, I'm just looking at your LinkedIn, Jeff, because you said you were working for a research institution. Those who are in solar will certainly recognize Fraunhofer. Fraunhofer, one of the sort of foundational research institutions globally that do validate technology. For, full stop. They validate technology in the industry. They're a gatekeeper. Prior to that, Jeff was at MIT. He also spent a, had a stint in fuel cells, research assistant at Boston University, worked at Boston Scientific. So someone who understands at a technical level how to evaluate product risk and also spent some time in venture, if I'm not mistaken, right? So we do have a, the, the ADL Ventures title on there is more of an innovation consultancy. Okay. But that is helping large incumbent organizations try to figure out um, their innovation strategy. And oftentimes um, it does involve uh, questions of risk. And the reason I bring that up is because, you know, it's often it's difficult. And when somebody's walking, washing dishes, listening to a podcast to think, who the heck are these guys? And we are doing more of a longer deep dive. So, I could, so you could explain your story. I just want folks to recognize what that. It's not a fly-by-night um, jump into risk risk analysis for this um, for this founding team, and in fact, Jim, the company that you worked for developing, uh, has a long history doing third-party validation and owner operations, uh, owners engineering. Correct? Yeah, I mean, it's a diverse Vertex is a diverse engineering uh, firm that uh, I was working with. Um, uh, we created a subsidiary called Vertex Energia. 
to focus mostly on Latin American solar and wind projects, um, uh, some in the U.S. And they're a a very large uh, uh, company there. And and I I hadn't thought of that so much in the de-risking element, but yeah, they work um, on evaluating more technology construction risk, those types of risks in projects, including renewables. And they even uh, work a bit in, in the surety completion market. So that's an aspect of insurance. So yeah, absolutely. That, that is part of my background as well with, with that firm. Well, one of the things I alluded to, uh, and I think we're going to bounce around a bit here, and you guys certainly have a lot of things that you talk about. And I see you as really having spent a lot of time in education, helping clients understand the possibility that is before them. A lot of folks have painted themselves into a corner or put themselves into a box because they believe that it's a small puzzle or a small piece of the pie that they can go after. One of the reasons for that is kind of how real estate works, right? Can you talk to me a bit, Jim, about how the function of property ownership, in fact, can ha- can affect whether or not a business can go solar for those who maybe don't understand it? Sure. And I'll say like fundamentally what we're doing from a developer's perspective is really expanding their addressable market mm, and yeah. hopefully reducing the cost of customer acquisition. Whereas before, maybe they could only knock on 10% of the doors and, and know they're bankable. Now, maybe we're expanding that to 50 or 60% of the available possible wow. PPAs that that's they a could huge, find. That's a huge opening. Yeah, we're not going to ever do 100 because there's some businesses that definitely should not, should not, our, our credit, real credit risks, but we're really expanding the addressable market. And so obviously the, the easy one is sub investment grade uh, rated off takers, but a little bit less obvious is this area of real estate. And this is actually the, top, the, 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 the situation of our very first deal. So many of the large real estate owners, asset owners, REITs, are publicly traded, they're highly investment grade, but all of them own their properties in separate LLC entities. And those LLCs are all individual. They don't carry a parental guarantee. So if, if they defaulted, the rated public parent doesn't have to pay their debts. Right. And that's important for the, for the structure of how, how that industry works. Well, because they don't have any parent guarantee when they're when they want to go solar, the bank is is looking and doing a credit evaluation. And generally they don't rate very well because they're mm-hmm. they're pretty thin. They're just if it's a building with multiple tenants or a hotel, um, those the they're just looking at that that one stream of cash. Really just the cash strip of what's contracted, the contract revenues of that facility, not unlike a solar facility. Exactly. And it gets a little harder because if the tenancies are five years, you know, and and you want to do a 25-year PPA, of course. How do you deal with that. So our very first deal was a large outlet mall in California uh, that had two highly uh, brand name publicly rated owners, but the outlet mall was an LLC. And so banks um, were were not um, approving that as a loan for the developer until we came into the picture and what we we covered the payment default risk of that outlet mall uh, on the PPA. And that's the trigger to the policy. The bank, because our policy is backed by a double A minus rated S&P AA3 Moody's rated insurance company, the fourth mm-hmm. largest insurer in the world, the bank now was more confident mm. and that they could predict in, 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 the, in the predictability of those cash flows because of the rated insurance cover. Hey, solar project owners and developers are infrequent field checks in your operations and maintenance plan and oversight. Do you need proper insight 
Well, let data drive your maintenance. Our friends over at 60 Hertz are in the cloud so that you spend less time on the ground and their app is a snap. 60 Hertz in your pocket will help bring solar to the socket. You can learn more about how 60 Hertz can help your operations and maintenance plan at mysuncast.com forward slash 60HERTZ. That's 60 Hertz. Have you been curious about utility scale storage? SunGrow's revolutionary liquid cooled solution is revolutionizing the storage landscape. Its built in DC to DC coupling, combined with other features like higher energy density and 3% slower battery degradation, make it a robust solution that companies nationwide are choosing. You can learn more about this innovative solution by SunGrow by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash SunGrow. I'd like to make sure that I'm really clear and by extension, anybody else listening, I think, as I said in the outset, insurance products can be difficult to understand and even more so when there are people in the marketplace who use maybe the term of insurance or they use other products that sound like insurance to explain how they're helping mitigate risk and protect assets. Can you help Jeff differentiate your product in the marketplace for those who maybe are trying to think like, can't I just go to my local insurance company or shouldn't I go to Marsh or how do I like, how's this different from a put from KWH analytics or resurity or anything like that? Yeah, that's a, it's a really important question and it's very different. (laughs) So this is not a off the shelf product that existed before. And, and frankly, that's why we started the company Yeah, because this product just wasn't, an, wasn't available. Yeah, And coming from that customer focused project development perspective, we invented the insurance policy that we wanted to buy. Mm. So imagine that an insurance policy that you actually want to buy because it helps enable something that is essential for your business and not just a nice to have, but something that literally is the difference between getting financing or not, Mm. getting a project acquired or not, getting a project into a portfolio or not. And so that's really what we're focused on is insurance almost like an enabling technology to put that off taker in a different category, to take it out of the sub IG unrated unknown Mm -hmm. and put it into the IG category. IG, what does that mean? Investment grade. And that investment grade visibility that that anointment is partly what's accessed through the structuring of the insurance policy your other off-the-shelf property and casualty those are great they're necessary you can ask your broker you can get them anywhere it's important you should continue negotiating on price it's not going to change your life and then we we actually respect the heck out of kwh they're one of the pioneers in the space and along with surety it was that's part of the inspiration that allowed us to think that you can actually have a renewable energy insurance startup. So they, yeah. they, they were super important in pioneering. And you know their product is important in covering the supply, literally the kilowatt hours, KWH. Yeah, the electricity, yeah. Yeah. When we think about a power purchase agreement, the cash flow is ultimately, it's a dollar per kilowatt hour. So KWH is making sure the kilowatt hours show up we're making sure the dollars show up. Where do the dollars come from? From the off-taker. What does every developer need? A bankable off-taker. We help make those off-takers bankable so the developer can take it to the bank. And we're part of that process. We see this as a collaborative discussion with the developer in the bank 
to figure out how to structure it so that we can turn a no into a yes. Jim, I want to come back to the strip mall example. Is project size a critical element? I feel like so often developers have false notions of what's what's doable, what's possible in their mind. So how do you as an insurer think about project size as one of those qualifying elements? Sure. So a lot of people ask us what our sweet spot is, project size. (laughs) The really interesting thing about insurance, if you think about it, is we shouldn't have a sweet spot. We need diversity. We need different industries, different geographies, different sizes. All of those are different types of risks. We want small, medium, and large projects. Um, And collectively, we build a diverse portfolio of insurance assets so that if there's a a, a claim, imagine if we only did, say, supermarkets, right? Or even better, hotels, right? Let's say we had a thousand hotels and a hundred million dollars worth of insurance revenue. And then we had COVID. We'd probably have a ton of claims all at the same time. And we'd be out of business. So instead, we have we we have many different industries. So they're not all correlated on the on the defaults. So insurance wants a diverse book. So I would tell the developers, you know, no project to really um, on size should be should be uh, rejected. If they did have tiny projects, we just ask that they're grouped together. Um, it's not very efficient for us to write a bunch of twenty five kilowatt individual policies. Group them together in 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 you know in and uh, bring a portfolio. Got it. So yeah, the strip mall might be 900 kilowatts, might be 90. Yeah. And so I, that's right. That, going back to that example of the, well, it was actually an outlet mall, but oh, sort right. of, yeah, but um, that was a, uh, that was a 900 kilowatt project that we did uh, our very first one. I believe that it was also a carport, if I'm not mistaken. So we, you know, that's another situation that we've seen quite not infrequently is carports. I would expect that carports need to be insured for sure. Well, there's a, probably a, a property damage element to that as well, but yeah. also just in terms of the solar, the the the, the solar on the, these uh-huh. uh, parking facilities in the warm climates where they want to allow their shoppers to, yeah. to um, not have hot cars. So I guess that's actually something I want to make sure that we, you say it and then you say it again. In that parking lot where you throw up these canopies, your insurance product is helping the outlet mall owner be bankable so they can actually get financing. Is it covering the canopy? It covers the payment that the that the shopping mall owes for the kilowatt hours that are generated by those solar assets because okay. they don't own so, the canopy. It's the developers. So somebody crashes in the canopy, canopy falls, stop generating kilowatt hours, then the kilowatt hours are covered, but not the structure. If it stops generating electricity, then the kilowatt hours would be covered by a product like, like a Resurity or a KWH oh. would offer. Okay. Or Hartford Steam Boiler is another one. So they're there, uh, uh, but probably in, the, in your scenario, because there's been physical property damage, it's probably a property damage or a liability from the commercial auto that, that crashed into it. Got it. Perfect. And does the developer or the site owner also need some sort of liability insurance for that kind of thing that's different from what you offer? I mean, they should have that absent energetic and, yeah. it, and it would be different. Any any responsible business owner is going to have a, a, a set of insurance Perfect. policies to cover other other types of risks. Cool. That's. I think that's really helpful. I think it's important for folks to be able to actually consciously hear and dist- distinctively differentiate between liability insurance and what you're offering. And the thing that I come back around to whenever I tell people about energetic is I say, look, this is the largest untapped segment for solar and the highest potential for growth 
in the United States and probably around the world, do yourself a, self a favor and remove the element of risk of whether when you knock on the door, you actually can't get a deal financed seven, eight, 10 months later because you picked the wrong door. At least expand the bucket so that your probability of success increases to your point five or tenfold. Well, in this case, fivefold from 10% to 50 or 60%. Are you only focused on, and does this, is this only relevant for like C and I solar? Um, that's where the, as you indicated, it's the biggest pain, it's the biggest untapped opportunity, and 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 that's where we started. Since then, we've got a lot of customer demand to expand into some other areas, yeah. including virtual power purchase agreements. Um, there's still corporate counterparty mm, credit right. risk in VPPAs. Energy efficiency, building electrification is another big area. Um, you probably heard some of the announcements from like Ithaca, the city of Ithaca, mm-hmm. Portland lately. Yeah. The DOE is spending a lot of attention here, NYSERDA. Um, so we're involved in some some large energy efficiency opportunities connected to municipalities as well as with developers in that space. And then the third area, I, I should also say that, you know, store, solar plus storage, a good chunk of our deals have storage involved. The last area where we're expanding to is geographically. We're um, about to do our first policies in Europe, beginning with Spain. Really? How interesting. In light of what we're seeing now with probable middle of bear market, I don't know how we might describe it. Fed is going to definitely raise the rates. We're hearing maybe seven, nine times this year. Like, How does the volatility in the public market and the overall, uh, I'll say risk in the, in the, in the, the stakes changing for how companies are evaluated impact the developer who wants to maybe use your product, uh, but more importantly, wants to ensure that their pipeline is secure, that they've been, they've been ushering along for one, two, three, four years. It's really important right now for a number of reasons. So one, a baseline we know from a development perspective that it's all about the levelized cost of electricity. One of the major inputs to LCOE is your overall cost of capital. That is not just the interest rate, by the way, that's the amortization schedule, loan to value, debt service coverage, all of those are ingredients in the overall cost of capital. And that's a huge determining factor of what the margins are and ultimately what you can price to the customer. So within that interest rate, We've seen very low interest rates for an extended period of time, and that's been an amazing support for the renewable energy industry. Most people don't know an industry without extremely low rates. In the last decade, it's it's been really, really favorable. We're starting to see those rates creep back up. So this is a, a key time for new financing, but also in particular refinancing of deals that, that maybe have been done before. This is the last chance to get those rates. The other key piece is it's not just the base interest rates, it's a credit spread. If you look back four, five, six years ago, it cost a lot more to finance commercial solar than it does today. So there's an opportunity to bundle those projects together to refinance that debt now at a lower rate. And there's money in those existing projects. There's a huge opportunity to refi now before interest rates rise and also taking advantage of with energetic potentially lower credit spreads which is another key feature so thanks for helping me wrap my head around how 
you know, I've heard you say expand the box for these developers, how to do that, how to think differently about the actual pool the, of, of customers. I've heard you say you reduce customer acquisition costs and the way is, an, is a non-obvious way. It's by expanding the pool of opportunity a lot through the last two to three years and forced by the pandemic has been, has pushed our business into a virtual selling environment. Insurance is an age old industry that has been around since time began. It feels right. It is a trust relationship. It is a pressing flesh relationship. It is a linkage between banks and businesses, and it's a surety. It's a protection for all of, for both of those parties. As we have started to come back into these public spaces, like the RE plus show that we're meeting at now, what have you noticed? Maybe it's that, maybe there's an aha moment. It's like that spark of insight, the spark of understanding. What have you noticed that is different when you are sitting down with a customer? Maybe you've explained it once or twice. Is there a thing that you've found that when you are sitting with them, they go, oh, I get it. That maybe someone listening today has listened through the whole conversation and they can participate. They can co-participate in one of the meetings that maybe you had in the lobby of the show today where somebody goes, finally goes, oh, and it took sitting down with you in person to see like the breadth. And maybe you, as I am as well, like you're relearning what your sales process looks like in your customer journey. What does that look like for someone who can't sit with you right now? I think the biggest aha moment when we talk to developers is that they can actually improve their levered IRR. And that buying, it's, it's completely counterintuitive, but the idea that buying an insurance product can increase your levered IRR, that is the aha moment that we've seen. And we've seen that in refinances, we've seen that in new projects, that is the aha moment. And actually doing that conversation virtually has been helpful because it is totally normal to do a spreadsheet screen share right. in a virtual meeting. Aha. It is very weird to do that in person. <laughs> yeah. But that's the aha moment. So very specifically, like there was a, we've done this a couple of times. It was a portfolio of operating projects uh, and the bank looked at the cash flows of the 20 or so off takers and they discounted the cash flows for about a third of these sub-investment grade off takers. So they were only advancing $7.5 million. That's how much the loan amount was. The developer brought us in and after the after we covered all of the 20 off takers, including the sub-investment grade, the bank was then then removed the discount on those sub-investment grade cash flows. And they were then able to advance $10 million for the loan amount. So the policy cost a fraction of that on the order of, of a couple hundred thousand dollars. And the developer was very enthusiastic because they got an extra 2.5 million, but had to pay a fraction of that. So you can, you can immediately see how that impacts their levered IR. Yeah. Thank you. That's a great example. Very instructive of how you can leverage these products to increase your operating cash flow. Jeff, Jim, it's really a pleasure to get a chance to sit down face to face with you finally after a long time. Uh, I think it's been two years since we've had a chance to sit down. It was Salt Lake and uh, SPI 2019. If you're listening to this and you haven't heard all the way back to 20, early 2020 when we published it, the episode that Jeff did with Oak Tree. Jordan Blanchard. With Jordan Blanchard. Yeah. 
Live Oak Bank. Yeah, Live Oak. Then I would highly recommend that you go listen to that. It's another example of how the energetic guys are constantly educating and sharing from their real-time learning in the field about how they can save you money and save you headache and save you time. And I've really, uh, yeah, I just really enjoy always, I get to sit down with you guys and I hear about things about tax equity that I didn't know about. Well, I'm going to have to have you back on again. I know, Jim, you've been really diving into how to help folks understand tax equity better and what what things are changing, et cetera. We'll have to find different, more ways to, to collaborate. But for now, it's been awesome having you on the show. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Thanks for joining us, Jim. Thank you very much, Nico. This has been great. All right, Solar Warrior. Well, that's a wrap on today's conversation. I so hope that you have gleaned value and have walked away here with another tool in the war chest. It is so important to understand how you can make sure that your revenue streams are bankable, that your off takers are bankable. Otherwise, these solar projects, you, you really should, you won't have an outlet to sell them. And so I encourage you to think about how you are insuring against the downside risk of these projects, both from off taker uh, credit risk, as well as the revenue streams that you are helping to create. That is, in fact, why somebody would buy this project from you to begin with. Hey, if you're eager to keep learning, well, you, my fellow Philomath, can find the resources and highlights from this and every other discussion, along with social media links for today's guests, any other resource recommendations we might have given, and more over on the blog at mysuncast.com. Since I know you're already going to be hopping online, I'd love it if you would just consider sharing this episode with someone else on LinkedIn, preferably. It's a real treat when we get to hear from you. I know Jim and Jeff would love to know how did this episode resonate with you. And who do you think needs to hear it? Next week, we're going to have a really special interview that I flew as well all the way to Boston to get. And it is with a true solar veteran, Mr. James Warden, the founder of a company called Solectria. We're going to go deep. It's a long, long dive into his backstory and what made his story so compelling. And Solectria, such a great company in our industry. You'll hear that and more next week. So I hope you'll subscribe. Thanks once again. Finally, to our sponsors who help make this content free to you each and every week. You can learn more about those sponsors. You might have heard them in our mid-roll today. Go to mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Hey, that's also where you could learn how you could partner with us to reach thousands of solar warriors and climate champions each and every week, twice a week. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, solar warrior. It's half the battle.